0: Association and Mediation Clinical Program. I'm Sarah Del Nido budish
1: I'm Neil McGarrigan, and this is Thanks for Listening, a podcast about bridging the partisan divide in America. Hi, Neil. Oh, hey, Sarah. Oh, you know, hey, you know what this is, right?
0: I do, I do. It is our 10th episode, the final episode in a series that we set out to do that would dig into the partisan divide in this country, how and where it shows up, what it means, and how people are working to bridge divides in their community and in the country as a whole. Across the first nine episodes, our focus has primarily been on ordinary people, essentially people who could be our neighbors and are our neighbors. Our guests have been activists, academics, facilitators, high school students, all of whom have extraordinary stories and all of whom are working to strengthen the ordinary institutions of our daily lives. They're tackling divides within families, in communities, between rural communities from Massachusetts and Kentucky, in schools and digital communities as well.
1: Now, on this episode, we tackle a partisan beast of a different kind, the United States Congress. Taking a look at it from afar, it's easy to have the impression that partisanship isn't just a symptom of what's wrong with Washington, that it's, it's actually a requirement of membership. And recent Gallup polling found that Congress has a 71% disapproval rating among Americans, with fully 60% of people ranking partisan bickering, gridlock, and caring about politics more than country as their top complaints about Congress. It's enough to make a person think that the institution is beyond salvation.
0: But not so fast. Our guest today says that there is reason to be optimistic and his perspective might be as sound as anyone's. He's working to make a difference from the inside. Congressman Dean Phillips represents Minnesota's third congressional district, a so-called purple district that had been represented by a Republican for 50 years until Congressman Phillips won the seat in 2018.
1: Congressman Phillips, whom I know better as my college friend and roommate Dean, joined us by Zoom to explain how he's working to bridge divides in Congress and in his own district.
2: Representative Phillips,
1: Dean, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, Neil, great to be with you and Sarah. I'm honored. Thank you.
1: So you have made a very sort of important part of your role, your public facing role, and and I think you're you're sort of the way you deal with, you handle yourself privately too. Uh, You've made listening a key part of what it means to be a a member of Congress and to to represent your constituents. Actually, so you've got this great annual report that you put out one year into your first term in office. And page one includes the tagline, representation begins with listening, followed immediately by bridging the divide. So these things, that's what we talk about on this show. So you are a perfect person for us to talk to. And I I guess to start the conversation, the question for you is why, why make that such a big focus of your role? Why is that
2: so important to you? Well, you know, Neil, it's it's listening is the first lesson we're taught uh, in our homes when we're being raised. Uh, It's taught uh, in kindergarten, and ironically, it's these lessons, some of the very first lessons that we learn uh, as children, uh, that people are forgetting in some of the most important uh, decision-making bodies in the world, including the U.S. Congress. And my father used to tell me growing up that if two people always agree, you only need one of them. And uh, there's some truth to that, and you know you don't learn from people who see things the same way as you and pray the same way and eat the same way and think the same way. You learn things from people who've lived different life experiences, have different perspectives, and that is you know it's from that mosaic that uh, enriches life. And I'm trying to inject a little bit of that uh, into a place that needs a whole lot of it.
0: So tell us a little bit about your district. It's a it's a purple district, right? So um, so what are the ways in which um you try to integrate opportunities for listening into your interaction with the community.
2: You know, Sarah, the district I represent, which is Minnesota's third, which is suburban, the western suburbs of Minneapolis, uh, it's one of the very few true purple districts left in the country. Gerrymandering has all but eliminated really competitive districts uh, in which people often will split their ticket when it comes to elections, uh, and you have almost an equal mix of Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. And it's one of those few districts in which listening and, uh, is rewarded, uh, not punished. Uh, you know, I, always, I was tired of seeing so many representatives feel that they're doing their jobs by representing 50.1% of the people that uh, live in their district. And, you know, that to me is antithetical to what representation means. It's a responsibility uh, to broaden that. Uh, my campaign slogan uh, is everyone's invited. And it's not just a slogan, it's an ethos. And even... The first the first asset I bought for my campaign was a 1960 International Harvester Metrovan, and we call it the government repair truck. Uh, and I drove it into different parts of my district, particularly the ones that were least hospitable to Democrats. Uh, I served lemonade coffee and just simply invited people to come say hello uh, and hear what's on their minds. And that was really the foundation for our campaign. And the truth is I wish that more districts in the country Uh, were constructed as such, so that Democrats and Republicans were rewarded for broadening their base, uh, for listening more, uh, and for extending more invitations. Instead, we're rewarded for confrontation. And that is perhaps at the the root of our greatest problems uh, uh, in our politics.
1: So that touches, Dean, on on a couple of things, well, a lot of things, but two in particular that I, I hope we can get to over the course of the next bit of time that we have together. But so one of them is this idea of sort of, Taking to Congress everything that you learn from the people in your district, and no matter what their political stripes, but to, but to hear what your district needs and what people want and what what people's concerns are across the board, and to bring those things with you to Congress. And then another thing is, it occurs to me you've got this this great mix of, as you said, Republicans, Democrats, and Independents in your district. So, what is it like? for you as a, as a representative of those constituents to try to bring them together across whatever divides yeah. exist. I mean, is that work that you can do on the ground in your district?
2: Absolutely, Neil. In fact, you, know, you have to do it with intention. It doesn't happen naturally, and that's why you know, I'm trying to inspire more around the country, both members of Congress, uh, anybody serving in elected office, and most importantly, future candidates, to use that as their strategy to bring people together. Uh, and when it comes to listening, I should say also that it's never been easier to do so. Uh, It wasn't long ago before social media uh, that unless you had great intention and made great effort, oftentimes you couldn't even see your representative or communicate with him or her or share your perspective other than a letter that often got a form letter back. Uh, Now, through social media, through Zoom, I mean, one of the strange benefits of these difficult days is the ability to connect with even more people using platforms that have been available but never really fully executed. Uh, and that is, you know, that's actually one of the joys of this job, because if you don't listen to people, how the heck can you represent? And if you're only listening to the loudest voices, which are not often indicative of the more broad consensus or uh, the massive middle, if you will, uh, you know, shame on those in, certain, in, in public office that you know, don't make it that intention. And that has to be brought as well to Congress. You know, if you only gather with your own in your caucus or your conference, meet with like-minded people, uh, you're going to get into a very uh, small bubble that is just simply not representational uh, of the country in this case. And, um, and that's a real detriment to democracy.
1: Yeah. And I, I actually love that's another way of saying something that you kicked off with, which is that great saying that I think you said your father shared with you, which is if you have two people who disagree, you only need or two people who agree, you only need one of them. And Sarah and I too, like we we talked recently with a guest who has that same sort of frame on the work that she does. You need the marketplace of ideas, you need the public square for people to actually disagree. And I'm curious if you've got any stories that come to mind of instances where you actually saw the benefit of helping people in your district come together and talk about the things where they disagree on issues, but actually can can build something positive out of that disagreement.
2: Yeah. So Neil, uh, in my first campaign, which was the 2018 cycle. Uh, We made that our intention to, uh, and you asked this earlier and I didn't fully answer it, but we had to create spaces and places for people to gather because right now we self-congregate, we self-select. We like to be with people. It's part of the human condition. We tend to congregate with people who look like us again and think like us and pray like us, you name it. So we have to be intentional about creating new spaces. So we did things like a massive picnic to which everyone everyone was invited. We have musical acts that Represented a little bit more of a broad cross section of musical tastes. Uh, we had to be intentional. We created essentially a family. A campaign became a family where people who did not know each other would never have encountered each other. You know, came together under the same umbrella of principles and have since become a family. Democrats and Republicans. And I'd say it's the greatest joy so far uh, of of my campaigning uh, is seeing uh, the the ability play out in real life, bringing people together who would uh, on paper, be very unkind to one another, and on social media had been unkind to each other. Uh, seeing them get to know each other, see where they have common values and shared interests uh, is really a joyful part of this job. But unless you commit to it, unless you build these spaces and places and create that intention, it simply isn't going to work. And that's why we got to bring that same, you know, those same mechanisms to Congress, because the systematic separation and segregation, frankly, uh, of the two parties uh, is the greatest threat, I believe, uh, to the future of the country.
0: I wanted to ask you about that, because there's something to me that I can, I can sort of more easily imagine um, a successful bridging of divides, or like this sort of learning from each other that, you could, that you're talking about um, in your work facing the community, like the district that you represent. Um, that feels easier to me to envision than kind of bringing that work to Congress, at least in our current, you know, the current way... Our current moment of Congress. So I guess one question is, what do you do when it sort of you you have created a lot of opportunities to listen to your constituents? You've heard diverse views. I guess what goes into your process of kind of synthesizing what you've heard and then deciding to take some sort of action as in your role in Congress? You know, there's bound to be a portion of a community that's going to be pleased with what you do and a portion that's not. So how do you, can you walk us through sort of the things that you think about when you, when you weigh those? those considerations.
2: Yeah. Uh, and, and as you might imagine, some of it is uh, through surveying and polling to simply you know inquire how people are feeling. Sometimes we outsource that. We use social media very aggressively to poll our district, invite people to share perspective. Of course, old-fashioned phone calls and letters and emails uh, we receive as well. Uh, and then a lot of it is intuition. You know, the more one spends in his or her district listening to people, uh, the more illuminated one's perspective becomes. Uh, The great problem, of course, is in a system that's designed to benefit uh, the wealthiest and the most connected, you know, we again have to be intentional about seeking perspectives of communities that aren't as loud and not as resourced as well resourced, not as connected to representation. And that's another joy of this job is discovering in my own backyard, the community I've lived in my entire life, uh, neighborhoods, communities, uh, constituent groups, interests that I never even knew existed. And that adds, that's accretive every time you have one of those conversations, uh, that adds perspective and illuminates, um, you know, what's important. And of course, it's a lot of the big issues, healthcare and economic opportunity and, and now safety and security and anti-racism, things that, you know, they're part of the, the daily news cycles. But always, you know, mixed in there are some perspectives and issues that are not on the national radar screen. And um, that's how we, uh, then we bring those to Washington. But again, if you only share those with the ones you congregate with all the time, uh, you can't get much done, as you both well know. So I've made it my intention to spend as much time as I can with my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, because more often than not, Sarah, I'm learning from them that they're hearing the same thing from their constituents. And a great example of this is um, the first bill that I uh, had signed into law by the president just a couple weeks ago, which was the PPP Flexibility Act, Paycheck Protection Flexibility Act. I was hearing from our small business owners in my community uh, how disadvantageous some of the rules and covenants were of the program. I was talking to Chip Roy, a Republican from Texas. He and I could not be more ideologically different. I'm the 27th most bipartisan member of Congress. He's the 427th, I think, most bipartisan. He a Republican from Texas. I'm a Democrat from Minnesota. But because we've created a friendship, uh, we heard from one another that we are hearing the same thing in our districts. And we got together, crafted a bill, and lo and behold, two freshmen uh, had a bill signed into law during you know, one of the most challenging times in our uh, nation's history. Uh, so it just goes to show how just a little bit of ear opening and a little bit of listening can be transformed into action uh, with that intention. But it doesn't happen uh, unless you're willing to step a little bit outside of the comfort zone uh, and interact and create trust with people who uh, you're often told not to.
1: And I love the story of your cooperation with Chip Roy. And I know you've, I mean, well, you, you said 27th, but out of 435, that's actually like it, the it very close to the top. You're one of the most bipartisan legislators in that body. And I love that about what you've done there. But I, I, I also think it's, it's incredibly ironic, one of the things you said, which is, you, you know, you create the spaces and places for people to have, to be able to disagree and have conversation. And here you have like the space and the place where that is meant to happen. Mm-hmm. And yet, as you said, it, like one of the things that is a fundamental challenge to, I mean, democracy really is the inability of people who are elected to go there and do that job to take that opportunity and that place and that space to do exactly what is you're talking about. So, I mean, how do you reach out to the Chip Roy's and the others? How do you do this as somebody who really cares about bipartisanship in a body that is so, where it's so challenging to do that?
2: You know, Neil, it's, it's analogous. Let's use football as an analogy. You know, you might be a, a Patriots fan. I might be a Vikings fan. And when our teams play each other, and they do sometimes, you know, we're in opposition. But for the most part, you love the sport, you know, the sport of football in this case. And I wish politicians would look at that the same way. Sometimes you're going to go head to head. But if you don't have more of a love for the sport uh, and a joy in playing it uh, and representing and serving, then, um, and then all is for not. And, and I should reflect on the fact that the first day I went to Congress, uh, which, by the way, is very analogous to the first day in high school, you don't know anybody, you don't know your way around, and a hundred new members of Congress, Democrats and Republicans, uh, we were put up at a, a courtyard Marriott Hotel near the Capitol, and I thought we would uh, get to know each other, break bread, maybe, maybe do a ropes course and build some trust with each other. Trust falls? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, alas, we were put on separate buses, just going to separate events and that systematic separation between the parties literally started on day one. Uh, It's a failure of leadership. It's a failure of leadership on both sides of the aisle. Uh, I hold both parties accountable for that because they are more focused on winning on their teams than they are, you know, the game, if you will. Uh, And this is a game of legislation. uh, And I don't mean to demean uh, either, Uh, but that's how things work right there. So that's why when I talk about this intention, uh, if you don't break through those, those walls, literally, uh, it's really, really hard to get something done. The best news, though, Neil, is that the first caucus I joined is called the Problem Solvers Caucus. We're 25 Democrats, 25 Republicans. Of course, we don't see things the same way, but that's the beautiful part about it, because we commit to decency, respect. Uh, we do not campaign against one another. And we build really trustful bonds of both friendship uh, and professional relationships. And we sit down together in Washington at least once a week for an hour. During uh, quarantine times, we've been gathering often three or four times a week, even more deeply engaged than usual. And to your point about how Congress should be working, we are too few, we're only 50 members right now, but we are operating the way that I believe our founders had intended, which was a place to gather, to share perspective, generally with respect, doesn't mean you agree all the time, but it is actually the only venue in Congress where I've seen real debate in a thoughtful manner that actually changes people's minds on occasion. Because as you know, on the House floor, things that typically reach the floor for votes are fully baked. Debate is more for uh, C-SPAN and uh, uh, news clips than it is for actual um, investigation and deliberation of issues. And uh, I, I share this because that makes, that's what makes me hopeful. There are the mechanisms in place. We simply need to have rewards and incentives for more people to participate. Right now, there are disincentives, oftentimes, for people to be thoughtful and collaborative. And until we address that, it's going to be awfully difficult.
0: I would love to, for you to say more about that, because I'm so glad you brought the, the Problem Solvers Caucus. We wanted to ask you about that. And if you could tell us more about kind of what, what you've achieved and what you hope to achieve, um, and also sort of what you think it would take to grow that. Yeah. caucus and, and grow that culture really i mean it's so fascinating to hear that on day one of your time in congress that's when like the separation started it was such a strong signal of, of mm-hmm. uh, kind of the culture and so what do you think are really the constraints that people are feeling the disincentives that are there um for this kind of collaboration
2: so sarah i, I think it starts with something we spoke about earlier which is uh, we need districts throughout the country uh, that, are, that are more diverse and uh, more competitive, uh, frankly. And if we had those, we'd see more people, more members of Congress, rewarded for being thoughtful uh, and being collaborative. I also believe in ranked choice voting. Uh, it's one of the few mechanisms I've seen uh, in which a third candidate is no longer a spoiler. A third or fourth or fifth candidate, in some cases, actually become the people that force the one who ultimately wins the election to have to broaden their appeal. Uh, so that's another you know, another way to, to do so. I joined Congress with a freshman colleague, Pete Stopper, from northern Minnesota. We're, in, we're an interesting team because Pete flipped a district that had been Democratic for generations in northern Minnesota, uh, up on the Iron Range. I flipped a district that hadn't seen a uh, Democrat win since 1958. We'd been a suburban Republican district for 60 years, my whole lifetime. and And we represented this really significant shift Uh, that's happening demographically and geographically around the country. Uh, And when we joined Congress, we both joined the Problem Solvers Caucus together. It's like Noah's Ark, a Democrat has to join with a Republican. And furthermore, we realized that even though Pete and I get along very well, uh, and we sit at the Problem Solvers table, that we had to do something beyond that, which was to inspire our staffs to uh, become engaged. Because as you both know, in Congress, you know, members of Congress get a lot of the accolades, but the real heavy lifting is often done by our staff. And they are often in the background. They do not have those same opportunities to engage and connect with, uh, especially those across the aisle. So we work with Better Angels to put together a, a program for a full, a half-day retreat for our respective teams to get to know each other. Uh, and both, both his team, Pete's team, and mine said afterwards it was one of the most impactful, provocative uh, hours that they'd had in a long, long time. And another Example of frankly being surprised and delighted by the fact that when you gather with people who are, have different life experiences and different perspectives, you come away having gained something, uh, and that is that's that accretive, you know, intelligence and compassion. I think that we all need to do a little bit more of, and I think it begs the question: not just what can Congress do better; these are some ideas, but what can every one of us? What can everybody listening to? Thanks for listening. Do what can. Everybody in the deepest red district and the deepest blue district do to take one step to be a better listener uh, And at least understand how life experience uh, Creates the lens through which we view the world and if we can enrich another person's life by sharing ours uh, We've taken a really important step forward for not just our country, but for democracy overall
1: I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned the story about Better Angels. It's an organization that we're both familiar with And I think actually today it's called Braver Angels. They had the chance yes. to name um, But in any case, one of the great things about the organization is that it has a a method that it's developed over time to help bring people from across the aisle together and give them opportunities to, like you say, share um, experience and perspective and learn from each other. And they've got enough experience to sort of help people through that really treacherous water, what can be treacherous. And it sounds like in the Problem Solvers Caucus, you all are sort of making your way together and doing that you gave your staffs the opportunity your staffs the opportunities to do that with <laughs> with the guidance of better angels what opportunity is there for an organization like better angels to bring members of congress together for an event exactly like the one that your staffs did i mean can can you do you pers- is that possible is that something that, that members can do
2: Darn right it is in fact i i started having those conversations with my fellow freshman members of congress soon after we were sworn in because Despite the fact we come to Congress with very different political agendas and and perspectives, we all see collaboration and process uh, as being integral to being successful members, no matter which party you represent. Uh, I've spoken with fellow freshman members in particular who recognize that if either of us were ever in a position to lead the Congress, serve in the Speaker's chair or a minority leader's seat, that if we came to it with the same intention, same mission of cooperation, uh, how differently we could do things, including mandating uh, some type of an initiative like the Brave Angels initiative. Uh, I've shared that very proposition with the Committee on Modernization, uh, which is looking at ways to improve how Congress works. Because at the end of the day, Neil, you know, we are an 18th century institution, really struggling uh, not to get into the 21st century, but to really 20th century would be a starting point. But we're operating Uh, As we did in many cases, uh, uh, hundreds of years ago. That that also goes along with how we select committee chairs. We reward tenure uh, without even considering talent uh, or experience. We uh, we don't crowdsource uh, when it comes to selecting leaders in our committees. It often is done from the leadership offices, if you will. So, in a real democracy, I think we have to start practicing a little more what we preach. The answer is absolutely we can. It just takes a little bit more intention. Uh, it's not easy to change anything in Congress. In fact, our founders you know, uh, created a system that uh, made change really difficult, and it works really well. But I sense a real change in the ethos of new members Our generationally younger. Uh, we're bringing much more diverse experiences to, to the chamber. And I do think that over time, it might not be this, time, this Congress, it might be the next or the one after. I do think we're going to start seeing some changes to make it operate More productively, more deliberatively, uh, and ultimately more successfully. And that's how we start by the human relationships, because if you don't do that, nothing will work.
0: Well, I love the focus on process as well as substance. And you're definitely talking to the right people because we're all in on process as well um, and the difference that that really does make in addition to bridging the substantive divide. And it's certainly, you know, I think you've shared a lot of reasons for optimism, um, many of which. We and and our, I'm sure our, many of our listeners may not have heard before. So I know we're wrapping up our time, but I, I'm curious, just as we close, if there are any other stories or just sort of um, experiences that you've had that that really do give you reason for optimism and and should give everyone a reason for hope about Congress. So
2: I'll share I'll share a story that really affected me deeply, and um, it's a perfect way, probably, to, to end our conversation and and. It was right after Chairman Elijah Cummings passed away, the revered longtime member of Congress, uh, chairperson of the Oversight Committee uh, from the Baltimore area, of course. And when he died, there was a beautiful service uh, in the Capitol. All the usual suspects spoke, Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy and Chuck Schumer. But the last eulogy was delivered by none other than Mark Meadows. Perhaps at that time, uh, before now he is, of course, President Trump's chief of staff, but Uh, At that time, one of the most conservative members of Congress, a co-founder of the Freedom Caucus, and perhaps the last person most of us in attendance would have imagined would be delivering a eulogy for one of the most liberal members of Congress, Elijah Cummings. And he spoke, he issued a beautiful eulogy, he spoke through tears, and his last line was perhaps the most memorable. And he said that the world and our country would be so much better off with more unlikely friendships like the one that they had. And nothing better sums up what's possible if people commit to finding common ground and being enriched by different perspectives. And if Mark Meadows and Elijah Cummings could carry on that type of friendship, anybody can. And if anything makes me hopeful, uh, it was that line on that day in Congress. And I think of it almost every morning when I wake up, I think, how can I establish uh, relationships just like the one he spoke about? And if we all commit to that, uh, we're going to do just fine.
1: Wow. Thank you, Dean. Um, I love the story and I love the, um, the inspiration that, I mean, it is for all of us, but also that you take personal inspiration from that and carry that into your interactions with, um, with your colleagues because, gosh, I agree that if, if that is something you can replicate, I do think we've got a chance. And I don't know, I couldn't thank you um, enough for taking the time to, to join us today. It's been a delight to hear from you and it's really great to get the, the inside insight of somebody who's working hard to change things the way they operate in Congress.
2: Well, thank you both for your work. It's perhaps some of the most important that uh, our country needs right now. And to everybody listening, keep the faith. And if you're frustrated or fearful, get involved. I did, and it's the best decision I ever made in my life. And can't wait to see both of you face to face sometime soon.
1: Likewise.
0: Thank Thank you.
1: To many of us observing from the outside, Congress at times seems irreparably divided. And it goes beyond mere dysfunction. It's almost as though the people we send there are downright committed to maintaining and deepening the partisan divide. And all that, while the issues facing Congress as a whole today are more consequential than ever. On this very day of recording, members of Congress are trying to negotiate a stimulus package that would extend relief to millions of people and directly impact real lives and real livelihoods. So the stakes are super high and it's easy to worry that Congress at Washington is beyond repair and just not equipped to handle the immense challenges that our country is facing.
0: Congressman Phillips and 49 of his House colleagues, 25 Republicans and 25 Democrats, are setting out to prove that that's not the case. That there are public servants in Congress who believe in the power of putting in time with each other to build trust and listening to each other and having serious, genuine debate on issues that are critically important to the health and well-being of the country as a whole, not a particular political party or ideology.
1: And we don't want to be Pollyannas about it. It's a tall order, for sure. Um, And 50 members out of 535 across the House and the Senate is a small minority, to be sure. But it's a great start, and they're already proving that they can have an impact on the way Congress does business. And as inspired as we are by the Problem Solvers Caucus in Congress, we know that for the caucus to grow and, and really take root in the way that Congress does its business, ordinary people need to be doing this work in their communities and demanding that their representatives follow suit.
0: It occurs to us that as a bookend for our series, the congressman's description of his work in the House of Representatives ties together so many of the themes we've heard from our guests, that we need to revitalize the village square, where the point is to know each other as humans, to disagree, and keep talking, so that the best ideas from across the spectrum can help us solve problems. That small groups of people with vastly different perspectives can sit together and talk constructively in order to build something together. That listening, truly listening, to our neighbors is critical to engaging across differences. And that if Congress can do it, we can do it in our living rooms.
1: Now, since we began this series in late 2018, the world has changed. Our challenges as a country have rarely been greater, but improbably, we're closing this series with a sense of hope. We've been awed and inspired by the people we've met through these episodes, by their stories, their perspectives, their willingness to roll up their sleeves and help Americans of all stripes engage their differences, even when it's messy, sometimes because it's messy.
0: For a link to a transcript of this episode and for more information about congressman phillips the problem solvers caucus braver angels or anything else on this or a prior episode visit our website at hnmcp.law.harvard.edu podcast we're so grateful for the help and support of our colleagues at the harvard negotiation and mediation clinical program especially tracy blanchard and bria etienne thank you to kate ellis our producer who graciously works with the home podcasting sound quality that we sent her and guided us through this entire process. Theme music is made available to us courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. And this podcast was made possible by a grant from the American Arbitration Association's International Center for Dispute Resolution Foundation. And finally, I wanna express my gratitude to you, Neil, um, for going on this journey together. I've learned so much from the conversations that we've had both on and off the air and just really grateful to have gotten the chance to work on this with you.
1: So, oh, Sarah, thank you so much, and my huge gratitude to you, too. Um, loved doing this project together, and I think I can speak for both of us to say it's it's been a pleasure not just working together, but, but working with others, and a privilege to meet some of the ordinary people that we've met along the way who are doing truly extraordinary things and bringing their stories and their voices to you and to us on this podcast. We've not decided exactly what comes next, but we hope to continue bringing you stories of courageous and creative people and groups who are tackling the partisan divide in some form or another. And for now, we hope you'll please accept our sincere thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening.